Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Irish Sport and Exercise Science Association podcast. The aim of this podcast is to open up the world of Irish sport and exercise science to you. There's so much amazing work being done, but there's little opportunity to promote and celebrate it. We are going to address that. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and today I am particularly excited to catch up with Kira Sinet O'Connor and Ellen Keane. Kira is Head of Performance Physiology at the Sport Ireland Institute, and Ellen is a member of Ireland's Paralympic Swimming Squad. Both of my guests have taken a short break from their Paris 2024 prep to chat with me today. Kira and Ellen, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. You. How are you? I'm good. I'm just awake from my nap. So well, <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> I was just about to ask, what have you been up to today? Kira, Ellen, have you trained today? Yeah, I had my morning session and I just woke up from my nap and then uh, ate a bit. And then after this, I'll go for my second session. Okay, that's a busy day. So I do appreciate you taking the time <laughs> out. Uh, Kira, what about you? What have you been up to today? Uh, we are in the middle of setting up um, our environmental chamber, which uh, was handed over to us uh, last week. So we're working on protocols and um, how we're going to set that up for athletes. So that's kind of what I've been doing today. That is really interesting. I've actually got a specific question about that later on. So we might loop back to that uh, towards the end, if that's okay. Absolutely. Brilliant. Uh, Kira. I might go to you first. Um, mm -hmm. The last time we spoke was for the Win Win podcast. That was uh, not too long after Tokyo. Uh, we discussed the day to day of your role, how you got into this line of work and some of the sports science issues that were specific, specific to Tokyo in that episode. For anyone interested, I'll put a link to that show uh, in the episode notes. At that time, Paris was on the distant horizon, a little mm -hmm. closer than usual, thanks to the three year cycle. But you said back then that you had just come out of a meeting where you were filling in the milestones to Paris, planning out the months and weeks to go. I remember you said something like from 2023 on, it's just going to be head down and go for it. So we're getting towards the end of 2023 now and Paris is on the near horizon. So how have things been going? Um, probably not too far away from what I predicted back <laughs> in that last podcast of head down and just go for it. Um, but it's good. We have a really good physiology team at the Institute. Um, we work really hard to make sure that we're like engaging with sports and trying to support them as much as we can with their preparations. And I think by doing that year on year, it makes the demands closer to the games year a lot easier because we already know a lot of what the support needs will be for athletes and coaches um, and then it, I suppose it makes it easier for us then to be able to fine-tune some of those strategies or protocols that we will need to use uh, without disrupting the daily training environment or the competition environment too much. So have you been able to stick to your planner that you you, you had back at that last meeting or have, has things gone to plan? Um, we might be on version three or four of the plan but it's rolling along. We'll get there. It rolls around. We manage to figure it out and we deliver everything that we need to. So I don't doubt that next year will be any different. That's uh, that's OK. Version three or four is all right. Yeah. I would have expected 30 or 40. <laughs> um, what is so uh, what's the last big kind of Paris thing that you worked on or what, you know, what's the kind of specific thing you've done most recently? Um, I suppose in terms of getting information out there I was uh, speaking to um, 
coaches support staff at HPX. So the second day of that was to, um, I suppose, include everyone in what the plans were for Paris and what our main focuses are. So while Tokyo, we really focus in on competition in heat and humidity. For Paris, we have a two-pronged approach where humidity won't be as much of an issue, but there may be um, some of those heat waves. So we want to prepare athletes adequately. And then I suppose with the focus on being conscious of climate change, there's some um, restrictions around air conditioning and cooling that we may not have experienced before. So that applies to athletes, but it also applies to us as support staff and to coaches where we may have relied on air conditioning or cooler temperatures before um, and where we may have just focused the heat prep around athletes. We kind of need to make sure that everyone is informed and doing some form of preparation before next year. That's really interesting. I hadn't uh, I hadn't realized that there, there would be restrictions on air conditioning. And that's, mm-hmm. I suppose, it's a, a well, not necessarily a can of worms, but some small challenges that are going to be presented to you that you'll have to plan for and overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the next thing you're going to be working on? What's 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 in the diary coming up next? Um, next week, I travel with Swim Ireland to Shore Course Europeans. So they are working um, on a recovery project across the year in the run-up to Paris. So I'll be traveling with um, one of the nutritionists from the Institute um, to deliver support there. Uh, And I think my next trip with Ellen and the team is, I want to say, Australia in February, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So some of the team are in Vancouver at the moment, but the whole team will be going to that World Series in Australia in February. So is Ellen is that a qualification opportunity for you or has qualification started yeah it has so qualification started at world championships in August so it was an opportunity to get the qualifying times but it was a big opportunity to get um, the slots that you need for Team Ireland so uh, top one and two at world championships got an automatic slot and then based on the world rankings by the end of January 24, that's how uh, the IPC and World Power Swimming will allocate the slots to each country. So because I got silver at World Championships, I can kind of relax at the at the thought of knowing that there's a slot there. Um, whereas, so it was just me and Roisin that came top two. So we can kind of relax knowing there's two female slots there. And then the other guys on the team at the moment are just still competing. So I'm not competing long course at the moment. I don't need to. Um, but they'll, they'll still be competing long course just to make sure that they maintain their world ranking to make sure that when the end of January comes around, they're in a really good position to hopefully get more slots for Team Ireland. And then there's a few guys who still need to hit some qualifying times, but we have until, I think it's it's sometime in May, I think it might be the end of May, to get more qualifying times. So I've got my qualifying time in um, the 100 breaststroke, but um, I'm hoping to be able to swim other events in Paris as well because my 100 breaststroke is on day two. And as much as I lo- would love to be like, okay, one and done, because <laughs> I'm 28 now, it'll be my fifth games. Um I I realized at World Championships, like I only swam one event and it was on the last day. And in the call room itself, I could feel myself getting quite emotional at the thought of knowing it was my last World Championships. So when it comes to Paris, like I just want to be able to focus 100% 
in the call room on day two and know that there is another opportunity to swim like it's not my last ever race um so yeah that's that's world series in february um in melbourne that's an opportunity to get more qualifying times there and then we've got a few more throughout the year and we've got a european championships as well so there are a lot of opportunities for us we just have to make sure that we're ready when they come around and kira makes us ready ready But that that's again that's you know it sounds like you're managing pressure and expectations there so you know there's a certain degree of pressure is off because you've got your slot but then there's a little bit of pressure on the horizon if you want to get those extra slots for your, for for yourself or for the team yeah. uh, to go forward so yeah that's 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 really interesting Ellen I think I I probably undersold you a little bit at the start when I just said you were a member of Ireland's Paralympic squad uh, incredibly you've competed at four Paralympic games and you're prepping for your fifth. Have you overtaken Dave Malone at this stage? Are you now Ireland's longest serving Paralympic swimmer? <laughs> um, I am overtaking Dave when I get to Paris, but uh, I do believe there is another Paralympic swimmer who was around before my time. But I think I think it was a woman and I think she went to six, five or six. Okay. Yeah. I know, yeah. Um, I'm not going to LA. <laughs> so don't even put that out there. But um yeah, amazing. But I, I'm I'm not challenging that. I'll challenge Dave Malone, but I won't challenge her. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's fair. I think there's a nice little challenge between the two of you there. Yeah. Um, I know, and and I know the fact that you mentioned there that you're not going to LA. LA, you announced during the summer that you were going to retire from competitive swimming after Paris. Um, I heard you say that you assume a lot of people assumed that you were going to retire after Tokyo, uh, but one of the reasons that you decided to stay on, amongst many, was that you felt you were in good shape and that you were physically able to train and compete at the level that was going to be required. So, what do you attribute that longevity to? Um, I guess it's just a bit of, um, realization. I think the older you get when you're, when you're kind of a teenager in sport and your early twenties, um, you realize all the things that maybe you've missed out on and all the things, all the opportunities that you don't get to do. And even just simple things like going on holidays with your friends or them getting their first job. Like I would have watched that and I would have been jealous of that. And I think that's why maybe in the lead up to Tokyo, it was a thought that I had because I've been in it for so long. Like Tokyo was my fourth games and I won a gold medal there. So I, there wasn't really much else left for me to do. And, uh, but at the games itself, like, and with, with COVID as well, I realized how privileged I was to be in the position that I was in. And even like to be able to respect other athletes that try so hard to make it and don't make it. Like I realized um, I'm one of the lucky ones that gets to do it and gets to represent my country. So it would be such a shame to not give it one more go when I know my body is fully capable of doing it. It's just kind of the outside world that is kind of, I'm getting a bit distracted by, I'm getting a bit excited by, but I guess that's a good thing for when I do retire after Paris, that I am excited. I am looking forward to it. And, um, with Paris and being in, in good shape, hopefully, I won't have any issues between now and then. I'm hoping to go out in the high and not a lot of athletes as well get to say that. It's usually something like a lot of athletes have to retire because of injury or something like that. So I kind of just feel like I owe, I, I kind of owe it to all the athletes in Ireland who do try and don't get that opportunity. And I just want to, I want to show everyone what, what a small country like Ireland can do. So 
yeah, I'm staying. <laughs> I'm still you're here. Gonna keep, you're going to keep Ireland punching above its waist there, I think, are you? Yeah. And also like the team in Tokyo, we had such a good time in Tokyo and um, the, the team was quite young. So in Tokyo, Roisin was only 16 or 17 and she has so has so much potential. And I kind of just could see all the younger swimmers around me and I didn't want to miss seeing them really step into the competitiveness that they're capable of and seeing their performances and being on the team with them when they kind of show everyone what they're capable of. So yeah, I, I really want to be part of that one last time and, and to see what us as a team can do. And I'm sure as well, um, those other swimmers, those younger swimmers that you mentioned there, uh, they will probably really appreciate having you. I, I call you a senior member of the squad, but a leader to, you know, someone for someone for them to follow out and to look up to and and inspire uh, while you do your thing uh, and they do theirs. So I think I that's honestly, really important. I honestly don't think they think about me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just there if they need me, but uh, they're they're fully capable of doing it themselves. And um. I guess all the support that we get from Kira and everyone else on the staff as well makes it possible. It's just, I've, I kind of joke about all the mistakes that I've made and I'm like, listen to them. Don't do what I did. <laughs> I say that to my students all the time. I say, look, I've, here's the list of what not to do. And I know this because I've made every mistake in the book over the years. Exactly. Kira, you're, you're nodding along there too. Yeah. I think it's a rite of passage, isn't it? Like even at the, the launch of, um, the ISESA, the last day, someone asked me, um, one of the questions was, what advice would you give to younger practitioners coming through? And it's the same advice I got, where people try to give you direction on what mistakes not to make, but you make them anyway. And then you spend your time going, I've made the mistakes and this is why you shouldn't. But I think it's how we learn and figure things out. So... I remember when I, uh, oh God, this is a long time ago now, but when I interviewed for the, for the job I have, uh, did the job I did previously in Waterford, uh, they said, right, if you were doing a VO2 max test on an athlete and you saw these results, what would you think? And I listed out all the, like about 10 reasons that could explain what could have gone wrong. And I knew those reasons because I had VO2 max tests go so wrong on me. I thought, oh, that was a terrible answer now. It sounds like I haven't got a clue because I'm talking about all the mistakes. But I got feedback afterwards saying, you know, because you understood the mistakes, it showed that you understood what it should be like. So yeah, I think it's definitely a rite of passage going through making mistakes and learning from them. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys both hinted there. So, you know, you guys have worked closely together for a good number of competition cycles. So in the run up to Paris now, is it business as usual between you and the other support, well, between athlete and support services? Or is there anything new that you guys are introducing at the moment? Um, I think from my side, I think this is probably like in the lead up to Tokyo, I was very invested in what I was doing and, and getting my head down and training hard. But I think COVID played a big role in that. And I think I didn't have any distractions and it was so easy. Like I was allowed to leave the house and go training and everyone was stuck inside. So I was living this lavish lifestyle of being able to leave my house. <laughs> That's so what I was, we call lavish now. I know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very, very committed. Um, and then I guess in previous uh, games and previous competitions I just didn't know what it would take and because of uh, COVID and Tokyo and not having the distractions and then I won a gold medal um, I, I realized what it would take so I guess this time around 
I feel like I'm a lot I'm a lot more invested and there are other distractions but I'm saying no to those distractions and I'm really focused in on what I need to do as an athlete because it's not just what you do in the water it really is about your sleep but it really is about your nutrition and and communicating and letting everyone know how you feel so I think Kira's not along because she's like this is the first time she's ever done this (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well I think it was good after Tokyo that you were able to like sit down with Dave and review what worked really well and I think as a support staff we were also able to do that um in 2022 and really make a good plan for 2023 where we tried a lot of things that maybe we hadn't done before so um we had like a big block of training in Australia at the start of the year and that just gave the guys a really good run into the into the season there was more international competition they were out of like the Irish cold wet weather I think it definitely showed the advantages of doing that. So we tried a lot of those things. Um, we went to the, won the World Series in America. Um, just getting information, seeing how competitions went so that next year we know exactly what works, what to keep going with and what we needed to pull all together. And Ellen, do you feel now, um, well, after so many cycles of preparation that you are confident in giving feedback to the likes of Kira or other service providers on what you feel is working or what's not working? Or do they tell you what they think is working? How, how does it operate there between you guys? Um, yeah, like I think it, it is very individual. So things that work for me mightn't work for the other athletes. Um, but I think even just being able for the other athletes to see me be vocal with the staff and see me tell them what's working and what's not working for me so even when it comes to race day itself I'm quite strict in my schedule of how much time I want to be at the pool beforehand how much time I need for dry land uh, warm up my suit and all of that and I've always sent my kind of timetable and my schedule to my coach and now all of us put it into the group chat so that everyone every member of staff can see it so little things like that um I think are making a difference but in terms of when we're away and other little uh things that we're doing just even like the I like I overheat so me and Kira communicate a lot about ice packs and how I'm going to cool down and the slushies and things like that so it, it is just trial and error but we are we are communicating I think a lot more than we ever have about it which is really good and I think that's important like you you said there that if the um if the other team members see you speaking up and like that, that it's okay to have an open dialogue back and forth, yeah. that that'll give them confidence to, to also have those, those chats, um, uh, if they feel they need to do it. Yeah. So I think it's just, even as I said, for Tokyo, there was no distractions and now leading into Paris, there are a lot more demands. Even I'm lucky enough to have a few sponsors and there's, contractual things that you're obliged to do with your sponsors and there's other te- I have other teammates who are the same so I'm just giving advice about like you need to get it done the coach understands that you need to get these things done but you also have to take into consideration your rest and recovery so that they don't impact your training so you just need to give a little bit more heads up of when things are happening and then they're able to plan around that to make sure that you're not doing a hard set the day before you have to do some filming or the day after like it's just a bit it's a kind of a bit we're being a bit smarter about things which is great good well let's go way way back way back to beijing 
So, Ellen, back then, what is your recollection or do you have any memories of the sports science support that was done back then? <laughs> I remember you, Bruce. <laughs> um, I wasn't yeah. fishing for that. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember, um, like, I was a baby. I didn't really know anything about sports science. I was just basically learning how to brace properly. Um, and... Uh, I remember my first experience of it was Alan Swanton giving me like this Lucasade recovery drink. And I think it was after I had qualified for Beijing, all of a sudden, um, Alan Swanton was giving me these Lucasade parade the things to recover after training. And he was like, you need to drink these every time you swim. And I was like, okay. So now just even the thought of them makes me gag. Cause you know, the way <laughs> if you over consume something, they just, you, you feel a bit sick at the thought of them. Um, so I remember that. And then I remember, I think my first time doing lactates um, and what else? Uh, uh, ice baths we were doing ice baths back then and all of this was so new to me um and something that I'd never experienced before but it definitely I definitely noticed it making a difference um and it was just for me being so young as an athlete it was just more about educating me about these things so I I'm learning how to manage myself around all these extra things that I need to do as well which is so important yeah, you, you you have a great saying about your attitude to sports science support. Do you know what can you do you know what I'm getting at? <laughs> yeah, the more I lean in, the better I do. <laughs> yeah, the more I lean I think the more in my head I say the more you lean in, the faster you go. Oh, the more I lean in, the faster I go. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> I love that. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant saying. So for you, like I, I think you've kind of hinted at the answer to this there, but was there a kind of an aha, this is it? moment where you realized that you know the more attention I pay to this stuff over here the better I'm getting in the pool or was it kind of a slow burn over a number of years and cycles um I guess it was a slow burner for me because even though I'd lean into maybe uh, a bit more of the physiology of what Kira was doing in my swim downs I might be lacking in my nutrition or think I'm doing enough for my nutrition but turns out I'm not eating enough um and then on top of that it might be I mightn't be getting as many hours sleep that I think I need. So I think it's just been gradually over time getting each element a bit better and realizing, oh, there's room for improvement in this other area as well. But I think the biggest thing I learned was that I'm not alone in it. Like there's a person for everything that I need. I just need to ask for help with that. Um, and then even after Rio, the biggest thing for me was leaning into um, the sports side of things and the clinical side of things. Cause even though my body was getting strong and getting faster and um, I was eating right, I was doing all these right things. My, my brain hadn't been trained enough. My mental strength wasn't there. And that's another element of the, the sports science team that I have that I never really used efficiently before. Um and, and it, it's probably been the biggest one for me because it gave me the mental strength to then be able to lean into everything else a bit more as well. Yeah, I've heard you talk uh, on another podcast about the challenges you faced around Rio. So you said you suffered from a little bit of depression, lack of self-belief. And I think you said you'd perfected your negative self-talk. <laughs> uh, 
in the run up to Tokyo, you, you, you like you just said, you were you worked on training your mindset the same way that you train your body to swim. You trained your mindset to perform as well. Um, so coming out of Tokyo, well, sorry, at Tokyo, then you, everything went much better for you. You were you said you were more relaxed going into competition, and obviously you did quite well when you were there. <laughs> um, so coming out of Tokyo um, and heading into this, like, is there anything you've taken, or are you continuing to work on it, or is there anything new that you're trying to work on? Um, you just, for, for me, I just realized you just have to get it done. Like there's no way around it. You just have to be committed to your training as much as you're committed to your sleep, as much as you're committed to your nutrition and, and your mental strength. And when you, when you are disciplined, you slowly start to see the results and it's the results that give you the confidence to know that when you are standing on that block, you've literally done everything in your power. And I think in the past, I knew deep down I hadn't done everything I possibly could. And that's where the the lack of confidence was coming from. Um, so it is just right now, like I'm not, obviously I am thinking of Paris, but I'm just thinking about today and getting through today and taking it one day at a time and making sure that I'm doing everything today right. So that tomorrow's better and the, the day after that is better. And hopefully the next time I race, I see a bit more of a result. Kira, would you notice like obviously we expect athletes to have a certain degree of physiological stress when they're when they're training and competing. But mm-hmm. would you ever notice like if, if there was excessive psychological stress on the athlete or if their work life balance wasn't quite right, would that manifest in some of the data that you'd be collecting in their physiology or their performance data? Yeah, Um so I suppose part of the support that we have around the power swimming guys and, and Alan as well is um, monitoring. So they will be filling in like daily wellness, things like their mood, their muscle soreness, their energy, their sleep. Um, so we're looking at that day to day and over time you're able to track patterns. So part of it, I suppose, is we have the understanding from the athlete that they'll be honest and tell us what's going on so that we're able to flag if there is a problem. But yes, if there's like additional stress and maybe heart rates are higher um, and their sleep seems fine and they're kind of reporting a lower um, maybe energy score for a couple of days, we can flag those. So every week we'll send out a report to like Ellen um, Dave as her coach and then the support staff. So everyone is aware of the same um issues if there is anything to flag or if everything is okay then people can progress on as they need to for that week um and in certain circumstances where we've had to before if if we would have had athletes who were kind of reporting a lot of illness or injury we've looked at salivary uh, markers alongside some of that daily monitoring and we can look at their illness and their stress responses in that so again it's very similar to the daily monitoring where we want to build up a longer picture and find a pattern in what's normal responses but then using that we can flag when there's anomalies in the data yeah that's like it's so important really and i remember thinking the last time we spoke that it's so much more efficient now the way you do things i think there's even app for the athletes whereas i think we used to rely back in beijing we had a pen and paper uh uh, questionnaire that we used to slip underneath your door every morning, Ellen, and we used to have to look at the results and you'd rely on, you know, having chats in the corridor and maybe picking mm. up on something that someone said. And, you know, while we were doing our best with that, you know, you're going to miss things. But now it seems much more comprehensive in terms of the uh, the, the network of support that's built around the athletes. Um, I think the, the network uh, has improved. So how we communicate information and um, 
I still wouldn't rule out how informative stopping in the corridor and having that chat with an athlete or the information a coach can get by looking an athlete in an eye. So like just looking straight at them and going, there's something up there, you know, like that's informative information that we will never be able to obtain from an app when we're looking at the data. Um, but I think for for the power swimming guys in particular, the, the role I have as well as being physiology is kind of linking the performance support team. So I would link quite heavily with um, the coaches and the team manager and the the science team in the Institute. So if Dave sees a couple of flags, maybe with one or two swimmers, I'm able to go back, link in the relevant service providers and action those things. So it's just making sure that that network is communicating effectively and everyone is driving towards the same key messages. So important. Um, Ellen, I saw recently on Instagram that you have just completed, this is going off on a total tangent now, uh, that you have recently completed a course in radio and podcast production. I'm actually starting a course very similar to that in the new year. So how did you find that? Oh, it's so fun. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And the reason I did it is because I do want to go into media when I retire. So I kind of wanted to have something there. But at the same time, my whole world at the moment is swimming and is training. And I'm 28, so I'm the oldest on my squad by about seven, eight years. So there's a big age gap. And on a daily basis, like the only time I would really see people maybe my own age or a bit older would be if I'm in and out of the institute. And I just kind of needed to open up my network a bit more and to have people that I could meet new people just make new friends and and have a bit of a of something else going on especially because the course I did ran from September through to the end of November so the winter months like the the months when things can get a, a bit dark and gloomy so it was something else to look forward to that wasn't just swimming and getting me out of the house for something that wasn't just for training um which I found really important but yeah, I really, really enjoyed it, really loved it. And even with that, like I had told my coach it was happening and it was on during one of my training sessions on a Wednesday and we just kind of worked around it. So unfortunately, I had to do a double session on a Saturday, which no one wants, but uh, we made it work. It was the compromise that was necessary. Yeah, it was the compromise that was necessary. Exactly. Very good. So yeah, and I was going to ask, is this a nod? It's obviously something you'd like to pursue after after Paris. Yeah, it is definitely. I I really, really enjoy it. And um, I just kind of always think of what I needed when I was younger. And the reason I had kind of my own body insecurities and my own self-esteem problems was because I never really saw anyone with a body like me in the media. So anytime I get the opportunity, I love it. Like, um, But I also feel that responsibility and I feel the responsibility of not a lot of people with disabilities get the opportunity to be heard or be or have their voice heard um so I kind of I kind of see it as a responsibility that I have to 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 put disability out there and give other people the opportunity as well so um hopefully now I'll get a job when I retire <laughs> well yeah I know I think that's really admirable I think the 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 you know a proper representation of, of of for everyone is important uh you know if, if you can see then you can do you know that's the yeah. isn't that wasn't that the tagline for 2020 or the the, the that other the uh, other yeah, um, yeah. 
Can't see, uh, can't be. I think can't see, can't be. Sorry, I got the, that's me last half full. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Kira, you're not quite ready to retire yet, but you have some mm. interesting new stuff on the horizon. I was going to ask you about that environmental chamber. What is? Uh, tell us about that. Tell us a bit more about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, for Tokyo, when we knew um, heat and humidity was going to be a challenge, we realized that within our building, we would need to, um, I suppose, increase the supports that were available to athletes. But um, it kind of rolled around too quickly. So we had a temporary uh, chamber at the time. So a greenhouse that we could make into a warm humid space for athletes to train and the environmental chamber has been a long coming progression of that greenhouse so we now have a fully functional altitude um and environmental chamber that we can manipulate to whatever conditions are needed um and athletes can can train in there depending on what session they have or where they're going um, so they can all be programmed according to what they need. So obviously, like Paris isn't at altitude, but there might be some benefits from using altitude training for certain athletes heading to Paris and maybe a bit of heat acclimation. So is that something that you hope to get up and running straight away with, with our athletes heading to Paris? Yeah, so uh, our plan would be that we'll have it uh, open and ready for athletes to use from January. Um, and I think while Paris is a big focus for next year, there are still athletes that will go to altitude as part of their normal training program next year and the year after. Uh, we also use some altitude for athletes who are looking for an additional training stress, but might be coming back from injury um, where they can't, you know, train to the intensity that they, they might require. So we use the altitude there as well. So it has a few different strands uh, that we can kind of tap into when we need it for athletes. Ellen, is it something you might experience? Do you think you'll be in the altitude or in the environmental chamber? No. <laughs> no. Not for you. No. shaking her head being like, not if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> no. No. Uh, no, I don't think I will. Uh, also, luckily enough for me, I, I know when it comes to Paris itself, like we'll obviously struggle with the lack of air conditioning and things like that. But the pool is always in a controlled environment. So anytime we go away competing, it's always the same environment that we're in. So it's not like I have to worry about competing and competing in heat that's you can't breathe. And so swimmers are lucky like that. I think, well, you already have a certain degree of acclimation to it. I always find anytime I'm working in a, in a pool, I, uh, I I find it a really uncomfortable environment. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've either dressed inappropriately or I just forget what working in a pool is like. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, I think if you're prepared for it, it doesn't bother you. But the amount of people I've seen going into a swimming pool in a pair of jeans, even after I've told them to wear a pair of shorts, <laughs> is outrageous. But even like Kira's always there with her tracksuit bottoms on. And I don't think you even use the heat anymore. I think I've just acclimated after however yeah. many years of being at that pool. But in fairness, that, that was last week and it's November. So when it comes to kind of May, June time in that pool, shorts are on for sure. Yeah. Very good. Well, listen, girls, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. It's been really, really great. Um, I want to wish you both the very best luck with your final preparations as you head towards Paris 2024. Um, 
I've worked with both of you over the years. I've been very lucky to do that. And I've genuinely enjoyed watching you both go from strength to strength in your uh, athletic career and in your, your actual career career. And I have no doubt that for both of you, the best is yet to come. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that chat with Ellen and Kira. They are both experts at what they do, and I always find it fascinating to talk with people operating at the top of their game. Sports science service provision in Ireland has always been of a high standard, but the level of professionalism currently on offer to Irish athletes is exceptional and truly matches their level of commitment and performance expectations. The evolution of service provision is also really interesting. I recognise things that have been done for years, albeit with more modern methods, existing alongside newer ideas that are more recent introductions. The process of perform, review, implement has been put to really good use in the Sport Ireland Institute. Tokyo doesn't feel that long ago and Paris will be here in the blink of an eye. I can't wait to see what Irish athletes can achieve. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed listening, we would really appreciate it if you could share this episode or perhaps leave us a review. This would really help to spread the word and build our audience. For anything else, you can find us online at Irish SESA. Feel free to get in touch. We welcome any comments, feedback or questions you may have. So please do reach out. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode.